We welcome all of you tonight. So thankful you've chosen to be with us. We have a number of guests and we appreciate that. Invite you to come back and be with us whenever you have the opportunity to do that. For those who are guests, what we've done the entire year this year is we've been looking at the greatest questions that were ever asked. And on Sunday mornings, we've looked at questions from the Word of God. This morning, we looked at a question that has to do with uh, who is the uh, wise and understanding man? Who is the wise wise and understanding person? And so uh, we, we dealt with that. And on Sunday nights, what we have done has been looking at questions in regard to what people have asked along the way. And so uh, we deal with uh, different ones, and that's what we'll continue to do tonight and for the rest of this year on Sunday nights as I have uh, opportunity to preach. But as we, as we think about that tonight, you know, suppose you have a faithful brother or sister in Christ, and uh, they have lived a good life, they've lived perhaps a long life, or, or, or perhaps it's a young child that uh, has uh, uh, lived and never reached the age of accountability, and, and something happens to either one of those, or even those in between, you know, from younger to older as well, uh, when that person passes away, one of the things that we tend to say, and a lot of people will tend to say is this, he or she has gone on to heaven. And I understand that is a comforting thing. It's a comfort, comfort for us. And, and I'm not saying tonight, I know that there would be people who would say, well, you're just preaching them into heaven and, and, and you've made the decision for them. And I know that there are a lot of things wrong with that. We understand that the book of John, for First John, teaches us that we can know whether we have salvation or not. And uh, if we couldn't know that we don't have it, then how could we know if we did? And so there's a lot of things that we could deal with in, <clears throat> in regard to that. But the statement itself, he or she has gone to heaven, is that an accurate statement? You see, we're talking about tonight the question that you saw on the screen, uh, where does the soul go after death? Now what we do know is this, we do know that the soul departs from the body, don't we? When we took, turn to the book of James, chapter 2, at verse number 26, the Bible says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And so we, we understand, we know that the spirit, the soul, leaves the body at death. We, we know that even back in the Old Testament. Going back to the wise man's writing in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, at verse number 7, the wise man says, and the dust, speaking of death, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. And so we know that there is that separation. We know that, that the body goes somewhere and the spirit goes somewhere. But the great question is where? where what happens after our death? Where does the soul go after our death? I, I believe it was Brother Hugo McCord and Brother Gus Nichols who had the disagreement over where the Spirit goes. And one of them took the position that, well, it goes directly to heaven. The other took the position, no, that there's an intermediate state. And I believe it was after Brother Nichols passed away that someone, I know for certain that someone was talking to Brother McCord about it, and he mentioned the brotherly disagreement, 
that they had. You know, it wasn't a matter of fellowship with them. It was a matter of discussion that they had. But I know that they asked Brother McCord about the brotherly disagreement that they had. And Brother McCord's uh, reply was simply this, Now he knows. If you ever heard Brother McCord speak or preach or teach in any of those things, he had a, had a very soft way of doing things, but uh, his reply was, now he knows. You know, I can't help but think about what it must have been like to have talked to Lazarus after Jesus had called him from the grave. There, there were people who were privileged to do that. And, and, you know, if you go back and you're looking at Matthew and Mark and Luke, and the account of Jesus coming into Jerusalem on, on what has been called the triumphal entry where they took the palm leaves and they placed them on the, uh, on the ground and Jesus rode in on the donkey. Uh, there were people who came out of Jerusalem, the Bible tells us, to meet Jesus as he was coming in and to meet Lazarus as he was coming in because they had heard that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. Aren't there some questions that you would have liked to have asked Lazarus? What does it feel like to die? You know, what is there? What, what is the sensation that you have when you die? And at the same time, I would like to ask him, what does it feel like when you came back to life? You know, but most especially, what was it like when you left? Where did you go? Where did the Spirit go? What happened during those four days that you were in the grave? You know, if he had written a book and published it back then, it would probably have been on a lot of folks' bestseller list. He was, uh, he was popular and he was uh, despised at the same time. The Jewish leaders, like Jesus, wanted to put Lazarus back to death, according to, again, the New Testament. But as we look at it, as we think about it, I would have loved to have sat down with him for just a few minutes and said, what was it like? You know, and get some definitive answers. Here's a, here's a man who was a friend of the very Son of God who died and Jesus himself goes to the tomb and calls him out of it. I, I would have loved to have talked to him and sat down with him and, and just asked him a few questions just to know what it is actually like after we die? What, what happens to the Spirit? Where do we go after we die? You know, I believe that if we die before the coming of the Lord, that there is one thing that is for certain, we will know where the Spirit goes after death. Whether it goes directly to heaven or whether it goes to an intermediate state, if we survive until, the, uh, or rather if we pass away, before the coming of the Lord, uh, we will experience the same thing that Lazarus experienced so long ago. But until then, the only thing that we have to learn from is the Word of God. And, and that's how we've tried to answer all of the questions this year. And, and so, as I reflect back on what we've already stated, because we do not have a definitive answer from these men such as Lazarus who died and was resurrected, and there were others that Jesus brought back from the dead. Dorcas was raised from the dead by Paul. You know, because we don't have them actually sitting down and explaining and saying this is exactly what it was, we're left to wonder. And I mentioned Brother McCord and Brother Gus Nichols, and 
I, I, I brought them up in our class downstairs uh, in regard to the uh, Holy Spirit, Brother Nichols and Brother uh, Guy in Woods. They disagreed over how the Spirit indwells a Christian. But as, uh, as, you, as you contemplate that, these men are, are, are scholars that probably know more or forgot more than I'll ever know. But the best that we can do is take what we have from the Word of God. And if these men who studied so much and so hard couldn't come to a definitive answer, it may not be that we can come to one as well. But I will present tonight, as we think about it, the answer that I believe is the correct one as we study through the Word of God. And so tonight, as we begin our discussion about when or where, rather, the Spirit goes after death, I can't help but think about the rich man and Lazarus. And the uh, passage that we find in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. Now, we're not going to take time tonight to read the entirety of that passage. It would take us a while to get that done. But I think most everyone here understands about Lazarus, who was a poor man, uh, so, so poor and, and so in need that he was laid in the gate or at the front porch, if you will, of a very rich man, and the man would pass by him every day, and Lazarus was starving, and, and the rich man wouldn't give him anything, not even the crumbs off of his table. We know that story, but there's a part of it that we need to remember And that part has to do with what Jesus himself says about these two. And so we pick up in verse 22, Luke chapter 16, verse 22. The Bible says, The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Now pay close attention to verse 23. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. When you, when you think about what Luke tells us here, what he's talking about Jesus saying, what he records from the very mouth of Jesus, he, he talks about the information that, that Jesus provides for, and, and, and this information is tremendously important to our study tonight. Uh, It's the very Son of God sharing information that only He could share about what was on the other side and what happens on the other side. And it's interesting to me tonight to understand that Jesus tells this story, tells about the rich man and Lazarus, as if He is personally acquainted with the characters and with the events that take place. And so that leads me to ask, he doesn't give us a time frame, it leads me to ask, when did Lazarus and the rich man live and die? Was it before Jesus came to earth? Was he there and observing all of the events that took place and saw as the angels brought Lazarus to Abraham's bosom, to his side? And he saw as the rich man died and lifted up his eyes in Hades. You know, one of the things that people look back at in this passage is they look back to the King James translation. And unfortunately, the King James translation doesn't do justice 
to what is being said by Jesus here. For the King James translators translated the word Hades, they translated it and said in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. And that's not the correct translation according to everything that we can look at and that we can see. But but as we think about this story, Jesus tells us Lazarus died and he's carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Uh, That helps us to learn a little bit about the work of angels. We don't have time to deal with that in detail tonight. It leads us to ask what happened to the body of Lazarus. Did did he just lie out there like a dog or was he buried? And I think the the scripture seems to indicate that he was buried just like the, the rich man was. Perhaps in a potter's field, one like was purchased by the blood money that uh, the Jewish leaders gave to Judas and that he returned uh, back uh, uh, to betray Jesus. And after Jesus was <coughs> uh, convicted and crucified, we have Judas going back and giving that money back. But as we, as we think about it, the Bible simply says that the rich man also died and was buried. And so it seems that, that Lazarus uh, uh, was, was, you know, properly taken care of in that way. But he tells us, Jesus does, about the rich man who died. And, uh, you know, we could imagine, did he have a big funeral? Probably, you know, he seemed to be that kind of guy. And, and not only that, but he tells us that he was in Hades. Right back to where we started from. The rich man's soul went to Hades... And he says that he was in torment there. He also tells us that he saw Abraham and Lazarus far off. Now, other than that, that's about all we glean from the rich man and Lazarus. But that is a lot. From what Jesus himself, the very Son of God, says about these two and And this doesn't seem to be a parable. If it is a parable, it's the only parable where Jesus would use a literal uh, proper name. And so it seems like a story and characters that Jesus would have been familiar with at the very least. But as we look at it and we see it, we all come back to where the rich man was. In Hades. Which leads us to the second point in our lesson tonight. And that is, we need to talk about Sheol in the Old Testament and Hades in the New Testament. There are some things that we need to, that we need to think about, that we need to glean from that. Notice in the book of Genesis, chapter 37, at verse number 35, that we have Jacob, after hearing that his son... Uh, something had happened to him, or at least his brothers come and they bring the coat that Jacob had made for his son Joseph, and, and they show it to him all covered with blood because they had killed an animal and, and, and dipped Joseph's coat in the blood. We, we have Jacob believing that Joseph is dead. Now, he wasn't. He had been sold into slavery. He wasn't dead. Jacob just thought he was. But look at what is said here in the book of Genesis 37, verse 35. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, 
I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. The word Sheol, translated that way in uh, the English Standard Version, is it is most often translated in others, um, other passages and other uh, translations as grave. I shall go down to the grave. However, the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia says it means really the unseen world, the state or abode of the dead, and is the equivalent of the Greek Hades. You see the tie that we're making here. It's the equivalent of the Greek Hades by which word is translated in the Septuagint. And so in other words, what the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia tells us is that the word Sheol, when the Old Testament was translated into the Greek language, that's the Septuagint, when the Greek Old Testament or the Hebrew Old Testament was translated into the Greek language, when they came to the word Sheol, they used the same word that we read in the book of Luke dealing with the rich man. And that's where he lifted up his eyes. He lifted up his eyes in Hades. And so, uh, again, as we think about it, we know that Jacob was an inspired, uh, was a, uh, um, a saved man. And we know this by inspiration, for all we need to do is turn to the pages of the New Testament and we come to understand that. You see, in the book of Luke, chapter 24, at verse number, or rather, uh, Luke chapter 13, verse 28, the Bible says, In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. And, 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 uh, but you yourselves are cast out. Okay? And so we've got a place of punishment and we've got a place of good being the kingdom of God and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are there. But Jacob said, I'm going down to Sheol to my son. I'm going as the translators in the Old Testament uh, uh, when it was translated into the Greek language as they said, he's going down to Hades. Going to Hades. Now sometimes we think because of the mistranslation of the King James, the word Hades being translated hell, that any time you talk about Hades, it's got to be a bad place. It's got to be a place of, uh, of, uh, uh, of eternal fire and all of those kinds of things. But in reality, it's not. Uh, we do read of other wicked men who went there. Uh, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, Isaiah 14, verses beginning in verse number 4, uh, we find him going to Sheol. Look at verse 11, Isaiah 14, verse 11. Your pomp is brought down to Sheol, the sound of your harps. Maggots are laid as a bed beneath you, and worms are your covers. Drop on down to verse 15. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. And so we have this man going somewhere. He was a wicked man. And, and we have him going somewhere, and so you say, well, that just proves that Hades is a place for bad people. Actually, that's not. If you have your Bible, copy of God's Word, turn to the book of Psalm 16, verse 10. Psalm 16, verse number 10. 
Now, let's read that together. The psalmist wrote and said, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. That's what the, what the psalmist said. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. Well, Mr. Psalmist, David, what are you talking about? Well, it's not until we get to the New Testament and we have a divine interpretation by Peter that we understand it fully. When we go to the day of Pentecost, in the book of Acts, chapter number 2, uh, we look at verse number 27, and there we have Peter as he's preaching on the day of Pentecost, and he says this, For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One seek corruption. Now, who is Peter talking about in that sermon? All of us know and understand that his sermon is about Jesus and what Jesus did. Now, what Peter quotes is from the psalmist back in Psalm 16 at verse number 10, but he applies it to Jesus. If you drop on down to verse 31 in Acts chapter number 2, we have another mention of this particular topic In verse 31, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That is, the psalmist foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. What happens, as we've already established tonight, what happens when a person dies? Well, their body goes one place and their spirit goes to another. Christ's body was put into the tomb. Where did his spirit go? Well, according to what we have in uh, Acts chapter 2, and by prophecy from Psalm 16, verse number 10, Jesus' spirit went to the Hadean realm. Now, let me just simply say tonight that if you were to look up the meaning of the word Hades, here's what you would find. The word Hades has a rough breathing mark, a knot, if you will, at the beginning, and the latter part of that word means seen. And so basically what we have is the not seen world. The not seen world. You say, well, yeah, I understand that because when a person dies, their body is just lifeless. And that part of them that animated that body, it's gone. And so, I can't see it. I didn't see it when it left. It's gone to the not-seen realm. But now add to that what Jesus had to say. We know that the Bible teaches that his spirit went to the Hadean realm, the not-seen place. But remember what Jesus said in the book of Luke, chapter 23, at verse 43? When the thief on the cross asked, if he would, Jesus would remember him when he comes into his kingdom? What is the answer that is given by Jesus himself as he's hanging on the cross? The Bible simply says, And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now the Bible says that Jesus' spirit was not left in Hades, but... Jesus didn't go to the same place that the rich man went in the Hadean realm because 
the rich man went to a place where he was in torment. And Jesus went to a place that is simply described as paradise. A place that is uh, meaning a, a garden, a beautiful place. And so as we look at it then, we have evidently two different places in the not seen world that a spirit can go. One where there's punishment and another where there's reward or blessing. And so as you look at it, it seems one of the best ways that I can think of to describe it is by asking you a question. How many of you have ever waited in a doctor's office waiting room? Anybody? I mean, usually when you go in to see the doctor, you get right in, don't you? I mean, you just, they don't even let you sit down, hardly. They don't even have chairs in those places. They just bring you right on back, right? No, that's usually not the case. We usually have to sit and wait. Now, when you talk about that, you tell people, I went to the doctor. Or somebody calls you and you say, I'm at the doctor's office. Well, have you seen the doctor yet? No, you're still in the waiting room. You have not yet seen the doctor. And so it seems that the Bible is perhaps describing the Hadean realm, Hades, as heaven's waiting room. Or, as it would be for those who are lost, the waiting place, the waiting room for those who will be eternally punished in Gehenna, hell itself. And so... As we look at that, it may be confusing to us because it may be that we think, okay, did I go straight to heaven and did, did, did he not go straight to hell? Is there some intermediate state that must be there? Well, let's think about it in these terms, and I don't know of a better way of asking it than this. How long will the spirits remain in Hades, whether it's in the compartment of the Good place, paradise, or the compartment of the bad place, torments, as the uh, rich man is described as being in. So how long will these spirits be in that place? You know, the Bible teaches us at his second coming that the Lord will bring the spirits of the righteous dead with him, right? Uh, is that not what we read in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 14? For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now may I ask you tonight, what is going to happen when Jesus comes again? Not to, not to set up a kingdom on the earth and reign for a thousand years as some would teach, but what is going to happen at the return of Jesus? Well, we know, we understand it will be the great resurrection, will it not? The great resurrection. You see, the bodies of the dead will be resurrected and changed. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 53, Paul makes this argument. He says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this imperishable body must put on 
the imperishable and the mortal body must put on immortality. When Jesus brings those spirits back with him, for what purpose is it? It's for them to reanimate the body. There's something about the spiritual body that has to do with the physical body. The physical body is going to be changed, the Bible says, but we have that great resurrection. We just read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is known far and wide as the resurrection chapter. And so Paul is making that argument that he will bring those with him and the body and the spirit will be reunited. And it's then that the judgment will follow the resurrection. In the book of John, chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, Jesus said, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Well, who are you talking about with the all? Well, you keep going. He says, And come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of damnation or judgment. And so we have that, uh, that idea being presented. We, we, we have a judgment, the Bible teaches us, when all men from all nations, from all time, will stand before the throne of God. And every knee will bow before Him. It's at this time that the Bible indicates that's when we have that particular judgment. But, but somebody says, well, but why is it necessary to have a judgment if the righteous and the unrighteous are separated at death? We have one compartment and two compartments. Well, that is a very good question. Number one, we might answer that by saying it's necessary to assess the rewards and the punishments for the ones works who, uh, uh, for one's works to follow them, according to the book of Revelation, chapter 14 at verse 13, for their deeds do follow them. Uh, and, and not only that, but as we look at it, it's also necessary for God to demonstrate his justice to the entirety of creation. For those who have been obedient to him, their promised reward for those who have been disobedient to him, they're promised a reward, not a good one, but reaping what they have sown in their sinfulness and in their uh, unrepentance. It's necessary to formally pronounce the sentence, but we also know that eternity itself will follow the judgment, according to the book of Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, in which those who are on the right hand will be bidden into the kingdom of heaven and into heaven itself. And those who are on the left hand, the sheep and the goats, remember that story that Jesus tells us here in regard to the, to the uh, judgment, Matthew 25, 31 through 46. Those who are on the left hand, the goats, will go into eternal punishment. Some will go into eternal life. Some will go into eternal punishment. Hades itself will no longer be necessary. We have the bodies of those who have died reunited. We have the bodies of those who are alive when Jesus comes. We have them being changed. And then we stand before God. But what is going to happen 
when Hades, the unseen world, is no longer necessary. Well, the Bible has something to say about that. Verse uh, 13 and 14 of Revelation chapter number 20. The Bible says, And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Now pay close attention to verse 14. Then death and Hades, death in that unseen realm, were thrown into the lake of fire. And this is the second death, the lake of fire. Death, destroyed. The Hadean realm, destroyed. For now it seems that those who have lived on the earth have lived and died and lived again, if you will, those who have been righteous, living now in God's house. And those who have been unrighteous, continuing to live, as it were, to exist, but now in the second death, in a place of eternal punishment, being separated from God, punished away from God, the Bible teaches us. And so as we look at it, I believe in the short time that we've had together tonight to study and to look at it. And, and again, I want you to understand as we, as we talk through these things tonight, there are men who have studied the Word of God and dedicated their life to it and spent more time than I've ever been alive in studying the Bible who have difficulty in, in, in understanding, you know, that, that it's either one way or the other. But I believe the best explanation that I can come to when you put all of the things together, what is said in the Old Testament by men like Jacob, what is said about uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the book of Isaiah, what is said about Jesus in the New Testament, what is said about the, uh, uh, the thief on the cross and the rich man in Lazarus, it seems to me that the most logical conclusion would be that there is a place where those spirits go to wait until the resurrection and then be reunited with the body and then stand before God and then receive either the eternal reward of life or the eternal punishment of separation from God in hellfire. And so... Again, as we look at those kinds of things tonight, that seems to be the most logical conclusion that I can come to. But now, just before we close, let me hurriedly mention three or four things. What are some things that we can learn from the study that we've had tonight? And this, again, has to do with uh, what it's like after we die. Number one, it seems that every evidence points to the fact that we're conscious after death. There are some who teach that the soul sleeps, that we're unconscious, that we know nothing. But from everything that we seem to be able to recognize from both the good place and the bad place, we are conscious after death. Not only that, but number two, we can communicate after death. Uh, we have the rich man communicating with uh, Abraham. Uh, we have those spirits who are in uh, Sheol, when the king of Babylon comes down, taunting him, okay? And so we have the ability to communicate after death. Number three, we can recognize others after death. 
You know, the rich man recognized Abraham and Lazarus afar off. And Abraham surely recognized both the rich man and Lazarus because he didn't say when the rich man said, well, send Lazarus back and let him tell my brothers. He didn't say something like, well, send who back? I don't understand who you're talking about. Could you explain who you're... No, it seems that Abraham fully understood this Jesus. You say, well, well, what if Abraham didn't know him in life? Well... Go back to the book of Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 through 9, and you'll read about two men who had been dead for hundreds of years, that when Peter, James, and John saw them, they recognized them immediately as two men from the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah. And they hadn't seen pictures of them. They were able to recognize them. And and so it seems that there's recognition of others after death. Number Whatever it is, we remember after death. The rich man remembered the things in regard to his brothers, but Abraham says you remember that in life you had the good things, and in death, Lazarus has the good things. And so we have memory as well. And then not only that, but we learn we can't buy salvation. Rich man didn't have enough money to buy salvation. And neither will we, no matter how much we may gain. Let me close with a passage of Scripture found in the book of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would uh, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Jesus is coming back to take us. And remember in John 14, he's primarily addressing the apostles who have been dead for now a long time. He's promising that when he comes back, He will take them to where He is. Where is He? Sitting on the right hand of God in the heavenly throne. But He says, I'll take you to Myself and uh, uh, making that place, as it were, ready for us. And so I think, you know, again, here in John chapter 14, it points to a time in the future for us. In eternity, time doesn't count. But in the future for us, when the apostles, when Jesus come, returns, when he would receive them and take them back to himself. Again, all hinging on, uh, I will come again. And so, I hope tonight that I've done a very good job of thoroughly confusing you, or hopefully pointing you in a direction to study even more. You know, I don't know, uh, as you have looked and you've talked and listened and thought and, and studied in life, I don't know which way you have, what, which conclusion you have uh, come to, whether we go directly to heaven or whether there's an intermediate state. But again, let me, let me just simply say, in my view, the most logical way of understanding many of the passages of the Word of God are to understand an intermediate place and a place where... We will, uh, uh, if we die before the coming of the Lord, we'll come back, be reunited with our body, let the body be changed, 
and then go spend eternity in God's house. Tonight, the most important thing that you will get out of this lesson is not whether or not you know for certain where you will be right after death as far as heaven or an intermediate state. But are you prepared? Are you ready to go to meet the Lord and stand before Him in judgment? If you're not a Christian today, you're not ready. And you need to be. God has made provision for you to be. It may be tonight that you know what you need to do in order to become a child of God, born into the family, the kingdom of God, by being immersed for the remission of your sins. If that is the case tonight, we'd love to assist you with that. It may be there's something amiss in your life, even though you've become a Christian, that you need to make right this very night. If we can assist you with that, we would love to do that right now as together.